Welcome to WP Tonic episode 135. Today we've got the immense pleasure of having WooCommerce developer Becca Rice with us. Becca, introduce yourself and please let our listeners know who you are, what you do. All right, great. Thanks, John. Uh, so for those of you not familiar with uh, the things I've written, I write a lot at skyverge.com where I am our WooCommerce team lead. So I manage our plugin development schedule, testing, website administration, all the stuff that comes around owning uh, your own products. And I write at sellwithwp.com where I try to um, give tips and advice and tutorials for um, merchants and developers running e-commerce stores with WordPress. Very good. I would also like to introduce my beloved co-host, Jonathan Denwood. Jonathan, hi there, let everyone know. Oh, I was a bit early there, <laughs> weren't I, John? Um, hi there, <laughs> folks. Yeah, always a little bit early. Um, hi there, folks. It's um, Jonathan here. Um, I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a WordPress maintenance, security, small job fix company. Um, we also help um, agencies, small agencies, boutique agency with overflow, and we help bloggers, small business owners keep their websites up, secure, and keep them happy. Excellent. And I am John Locke. I run a small WordPress consultancy in Sacramento, California called Lockdown Design, and my areas of expertise are putting together WooCommerce stores mm. and helping people with local SEO. Uh, first question I want to ask you, Becca, is how did you first get into web development? That is uh, a great one. And so I did not um, get into development very early. I know a lot of people that uh, I feel like have been doing this since they were like 12 years old. And uh, for me, that wasn't the case. Uh, I trained as a chemist. So I, I went to college for chemistry um, and then uh, pivoted while I was in college to um, education since um, I was tutoring uh, probably ha uh, more than half of my calculus class at that point and some of my chemistry uh, class as well and was enjoying it. So I taught high school chemistry for four years. And um, at that point, um, my husband, Max, and his co-founder, Justin, had founded Skyverge and were in need of a lot of help um, in terms of writing documentation for plugins, testing, uh, answering basic support questions. And so since I had worked with WordPress websites um, in the past in college and while I was teaching, um, that was something I kind of fell into doing part-time for them, which um, just continued to escalate more and more and more as time went on. And so uh, probably about four months later, I was doing two jobs essentially and um, decided at that point, um, despite the fact that it felt risky having two people working for the same new company, um, we decided that uh, at that point it was kind of taking off and that we should just jump uh, in with both feet. And so I kind of shifted full-time into the uh, web and Word, uh, WordPress sphere after having been a user for so long. Excellent. Um, and, and what were the early days of Skyverge like, and, and how does it compare to where Skyverge is now? Sure. So at that point, um, with Max, Justin, and myself, um, we were uh, doing a lot of building in the early days. Um, as many people familiar with products can attest, um, you have so much time to build <laughs> in the beginning um, as you have uh, support, but still more minimal than, than usual, and your maintenance burden isn't very big. So there's a lot of building going on in the early days of Skyverge. Uh, it was the three of us for a little while, and then we brought on a full-time developer to help with WooCommerce development and support. And uh, as our plugin catalog started to uh, expand, um, we stepped away from doing 
builds for stores and helping merchants with customization and setup and really focused a lot more on the product side of things since that revenue was now um, supporting the business itself. And um, as it grew, um, we tried to expand into e-commerce more as a whole. So um, we've done a ton of e-commerce stuff, but we also have Shopify apps as well. And we uh, acquired uh, an app for Shopify called Jilt that was for abandoned carts that we've um, revamped and also made available for WooCommerce and will soon be available for easy digital downloads as well. So um, it's grown from just a small shop focused on WooCommerce to a shop focused on providing e-commerce solutions. Most definitely. Uh, tell me a little bit more about Jilt. Um, how, where, where do you see Skyverge taking that app um, from here until now, and what's the opportunity? Sure, that one's definitely one we're very excited about. So uh, the abandoned cart problem is a huge one for e-commerce stores. Uh, a lot of merchants are familiar with the fact that uh, 68% of carts are abandoned. Um, and so that means not only people that just came to your store, but people that actually added something to the cart and left the store before completing the purchase, which is uh, a ton of lost revenue. And so uh, in the Shopify sphere, sphere, they had offered a very lightweight abandoned cart solution as part of their core platform. And so for Shopify, I think it was a big deal and many merchants became aware of it because of that. And so uh, Jilt has already covered $14 million in revenue um, for merchants with Shopify. And so what we did is took Jilt, we're very excited about that possibility even though there was already an offering for Shopify and said, hey, this, there's not really much here in the WordPress space for this. And it's a great tool um, for merchants to boost revenue and recover these lost sales. So we kind of deconstructed the app um, and rebuilt it to make it a little more friendly for other platforms as well. And uh, so we launched, sort of soft launched uh, a WooCommerce um, integration for that recently. We've had a small set of merchants on it who are loving it already. We're getting them ramped up with um, with recovering their carts. We've been working with Pippin and his team at Easy Digital Downloads to put together an integration for that um, so that we can help um, merchants with digital stores to recover their lost sales as well. And um, we're, we're seeing that take off so far. So we haven't done a big push in the WordPress space yet since um, we were trying to gather a lot of early feedback. But um, it's fully functional, it's available, and um, we're having great results so far with the merchants in WordPress that are using it, just like we have in Shopify. Very good. Yeah. Um, in Skyverge, you're a third-party developer for uh, WooCommerce and for Shopify. How important is, uh, is third-party development to the growth and the health of a platform or an ecosystem? I think that's one of the major reasons we've seen uh, some of these platforms take off. Um, for a lot of merchants, it's pretty straightforward to find a solution that will let you set up a t-shirt shop or a pretty you know, simple shop selling a very straightforward product, right? You have uh, an abundance of choices to do something like that. Shopify, Squarespace, Equid, Wix, you know, all sorts of things. Um, uh, and actually, I'm not sure if Wix has launched their e-commerce solution yet. I know they were working on one, um, as was Weebly. But um, so there's tons of options for you to, uh, to sell a simple product. And what there um, are is not a ton of e-commerce stores that are just simple products, right? There's merchants that are selling all sorts of crazy stuff, things that require measurements online, things that require digital or downloadable products, things that require content protection. And so uh, that ability to expand what the platform is offering and to do it quickly with the help of several third-party developers, uh, I think is why you see merchants kind of flock to one platform because they can say, oh, well, uh, I want to be able to do this or this is what my ideal setup would look like in my mind. And while WooCommerce may not offer it, there are all these extensions that I can use that do. And I can do that for a pretty reasonable price. And that was um, something that Max, who is one of our co-founders, 
had evaluated when uh, before he got involved with Skyridge, he was running an e-commerce store and went through that process of should I use WooCommerce, Shopify. Uh, I think Spreedly was one of the ones they evaluated at that point. And Spreedly was going to cost, I think, $25,000 to get up and running. And he looked at WooCommerce and said, you know, for $1,000 in extensions and a couple thousand dollars in custom development, I can have exactly what I want. And so I think that third-party ecosystem, uh, along with the development ecosystem, is really what brings some of those merchants um, into into the fold. Great. Uh, Something that you touched on in in that statement that I want to come back to um, how important is it to approach a, say, like a WooCommerce or a Shopify as a merchant first before you look at it as a developer? Oh, it's uh, hugely helpful. And so many of us have uh, experience with e-commerce stores in some way, either a family member that runs one. Um, when I was in college, I worked in a warehouse for a women's sporting goods uh, supplier that had an e-commerce store. Uh, so I got to see the fulfillment side of things on my end. Um, Max got to see things running uh, an e-commerce store. Justin was uh, their custom development partner uh, for that, which is how the company got started. Um, and that ability to see the problems firsthand that merchants are having, I think really hammers home where pain points are for you. And so a lot of plugin ideas and a lot of development came out of that, um, seeing where there are gaps in the platform offering and where plugins can step in and do a better job for merchants. No, I, I think that's paramount understanding the client needs uh, to get ideas for plugins. Um, one thing I want to... One thing I want to ask you is how did the automatic uh, acquisition of WooCommerce affect the WooCommerce development ecosystem? Uh, for many of us who were involved in WooCommerce, that was uh, definitely a big wild card when it happened since uh, there weren't too many third-party developers that had um, any advance notice really that that was occurring. They uh, kept it very hush-hush until the time it was announced. And so uh, at first, the ambiguity of it is a little unsettling because um, you're wondering, okay, is this going to um, uh, be something that's going to continue? Are they going to remove the extension marketplace and, and do everything, you know, hosted in, in a closed system like WordPress.com is? You know, what's this going to look like? Um, but over time, I think that the increase in developers in the WooCommerce core system um, for people that follow WooCommerce, you know, that there have been several people from Automatic that have rotated into WooCommerce and done development sprints uh, on the core plugin. I think seeing that um, boost in the development ecosystem has um, been great to see and very um, inspiring and grounding for many of us that work with WooCommerce, seeing the investment that Automatic is making into the, um, into the space and into the ecosystem. Do you, do you, uh, do you uh, see uh, WooCommerce... Uh, uh, becoming part of WordPress.com at some point? Uh, at some point, I think so. It's, uh, there's a very real cost to trying to set up a hosted ecosystem like that, even though WooCommerce itself is free. Um, and it's primarily in support. Um, hardware you can, you can deal with and, and the stack, you know, they have a lot of experience with, but automatic excels in um, providing support for that software as they have with wordpress.com and jetpack. So I definitely think they have the great tools and capability to do that. Um, but at that point, they're also competing head to head with the Shopify's of the world, which is um, definitely tough. And definitely WooCommerce has a little bit of a ways to go, I think, 
before it's um, at that point of usability that Shopify is at. But uh, I definitely think that that would be uh, in the future plans for automatic as we're seeing with WooCommerce Connect, it's kind of like taking steps towards that. Definitely. Um, I want to ask you as well, is when Skyverge releases a plugin, uh, is there a science, is there a methodology to figuring out what the price is going to be? Is that something that you have to um, talk with, with uh, WooCommerce about? Uh, how does that process work? Right. So uh, that's a good question. Pricing is always a tricky one. Um, and uh, with WooCommerce.com, uh, they have a lot of input into that, obviously, um, with it being a marketplace. So there are several tiers at which um, plugins are typically available. So um, a very small selection of plugins is available at $29 and then $49 and $79. And so for us, if we build a payment gateway integration, um, the, more, the vast majority of those are going to be at $79. So we know that going into it. Um, unless, of course, there are some weird things about it. Like there's a couple that are um, at a much higher price point. But uh, for functionality-based plugins, it's a process we'll go through with our team. And we'll say, okay, here's our anticipated feature set. Here's what competing plugins in the um, WordPress ecosystem are, are doing, what ours will do. Here's what they're priced at. Um, most of the time, we want to go upstream of that and, and um, offer at a higher price point because we're, we're trying to provide a much better product. And so we'll kind of go through those factors, and then it's a collaborative process with their team to determine which tier it fits in based on that. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, before we go to our break, uh, recently there is uh, a major update to the memberships plugin. Tell me, mm -hmm. uh, tell our listeners a little bit about some of the new things that they're going to find in memberships. Yeah, so memberships is one of the plugins we're very excited about. We have um, one full-time person basically on that at all times, building, supporting, improving memberships. And um, we ran into an issue with memberships where when we built it, we were very opinionated and we tried to make as many decisions as we could. So that setup would be very simple for people. And if they needed to make changes, um, we tried to make it very developer friendly. And we also provided a lot of code snippets and support around how to do those things. Um, but one thing that we were probably too opinionated on at first, um, although I think it worked out for us to launch at least an MVP, was the concept of tying membership access to recurring billing. So we made the decision that you should only have access while you're paying for it. And when you stop paying, you stop getting access. Um, but that didn't fit the model that some people needed where payments should be decoupled from that access period. You might want to offer a plan where you have three monthly payments for your membership, but it lasts for a year. And so uh, what we had to do with memberships 1.7 is kind of uh, do a lot of refactoring around that process. And, um, to kind of change that concept of how memberships works with billing um, and with the subscriptions plugin itself. So with memberships 1.7, we added the ability to decouple that. And since we were having to tinker uh, very deeply with the access methods and how access is controlled, um, it opened up the opportunity for us as well to add new access methods. So what we did is we provided support for installment plans. So you can now say, I don't want the membership to be as long as the billing. I want it to be for a set year no matter what. And then since we were tinkering with that, we also added um, fixed date memberships. So you could say, I want this membership to run from January 1st to December 31st. And no matter when the person purchases, if they purchase before it starts, they have a delayed access. It won't start until that date. 
if they purchase after that, they have access immediately, but everybody ends on that date. And then um, we also added an access control for registration, which was another big ask. So um, if you sign up for an account on the site, now you can have a membership, which is good for sites that have free or trial type memberships. Um, so tons and tons of updates around access controls, which was, um, I think, a huge step forward for us. And it was great to um, take the internals of the plugin that we had um, made so many decisions with and retool them. And then we added some other small things like um, the ability to send member emails uh, so that um, since we were very heavily focused on access, we wanted to make sure that you can inform people when their access ends, since it may not always be depending on the subscription itself. So lots and lots is, is the answer, basically. No, definitely. All those features are really great. In particular, I, I think the reminder emails is uh, something that's useful. Uh, I think decoupling the, the pricing from the membership to where you can, people can pay like, um, you know, for a few get all the payments done like uh, at the beginning and then have access for a year. I think that's really super useful. Um, we're going to go to our first break and then we, we come back. We're going to talk more with uh, Becca Rice, the lead WooCommerce developer at Skyverge. Uh, we'll see you after the break. Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad. And you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. We're coming back from the break. We're talking with Becca Rice, lead WooCommerce developer at Skyverge. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Becca, is recently... Uh, you had your own real-life Oregon Trail uh, where you were uh, traveling across the country while working remotely. Uh, what what are some of the challenges that you faced uh, during that journey, and, and what were some of the highlights of that trip? Yeah, that was um, something I've wanted to do for a very long time. Um, so I think a lot of people um, in my age range, at least, are very familiar with uh, with Oregon Trail, having played it in um, in elementary school on the Apple IIs in the computer lab, right? And so uh, when, um, when we got involved with Skyverge, remote work was one of the great benefits, obviously, of working with a software company. Um, but we weren't very good at it at first. I think it's something that, uh, like anything, takes practice to be good at being productive while you're on the move. And so um, we did much longer travel, like six months, nine months in different places at that point, basically moving, like full-on moves between places each time. And... Um, uh, over time, I wanted to shorten that so I could spend one, two months in, in different cities and different places. And so for us, um, we needed a lot of practice to be able to do that. And um, that's one of the things when, when you're traveling like that that I um, always try to encourage people to do is make sure you practice working while you travel and getting into that mindset, getting into your like mental workspace. Um, and then uh, so we started going across the country. We picked out a bunch of cities we wanted to hit. And um, Portland, Oregon was one of um, the destinations. So we kind of decided to do real life Oregon Trail, drove through Independence, Missouri, <laughs> made sure we started there. Didn't quite follow the proper trail, which would have gone further north, um, but I wanted to stop in Denver for a little while. Um, so uh, truth be told, it wasn't exactly real life Oregon Trail, but um, still a lot of fun to go across the country, um, working during the day, driving either in the evening or on weekends. Um, and uh, had an absolute blast doing it. Loved it. <laughs> You're very good. Jonathan, do you have a question for Becca? Yeah, um, it's just an in-house joke, folks, that I thought I'd share with you. Uh, when we do the pre-show talk, 
um, John and Becca started talking Oregon. I thought they said organ. And uh, <laughs> um, I was getting a bit worried. I, I know it can get a bit bloody in the WordPress community, but I didn't know it was getting that far. But there we go. I thought you, I thought you might find that amusing, my beloved listeners. Uh, um, so, um, <laughs> Becca... Um, you touched, you know, obviously you're struggling um, two worlds now. You know, you've got Shopify and you, your core foundation experience was in WordPress. So I think you're in a very unique place now to um, comment on the two kind of worlds of Shopify and WordPress. So um, I'm I'm notorious for asking multi-level questions, Becca, so <laughs> prepare yourself. Um, so... Um, what what do you think are the, the, the differences in culture and in outlook that you need to have um, dealing with these two platforms? And can you give us some... Uh, do you think they're... Um, are they ideal for almost every circumstance or is there um, definitely a stage where you might be best to look at one of the other platforms compared to the other one yeah uh multi-level indeed right it was yeah uh, <laughs> um all right so let's start with the culture one first and then I'll, I'll circle back to the other questions on fit um they both have completely different development philosophies which is certainly interesting to see as a third party uh in the ecosystem so with wordpress having um complete open source everything uh, all GPL code, you know, you can look at it, modify it, do what you want with it. Um, whereas with Shopify, it's a closed system. You can only interact with certain APIs. And um, Shopify also provides different APIs depending on what kind of store you're looking at. So for example, with a Shopify Plus store, enterprise level stores, you have access to more APIs than you would with a um, uh, beginning store. And so as a result, it, it kind of gives you some interesting um, perspectives and development where with Shopify on the plus side, um, we as developers don't have to worry about hosting environments and weirdness going on there and plugins really modifying things at the server level. Whereas in WordPress, we've run into some very strange things with servers not being set in UTC time or plugins modifying that daytime, um, doing all sorts of crazy things. Uh, Sohozen, which is a PHP extension, is like the bane of my existence in, in when we were doing support, right? So things like that, that... Um, from a WordPress support perspective that you really have to dive into the server level on um, and can be just uh, teeth pulling, essentially. You don't have that in Shopify, but you also don't have access to the, the tools you have with WordPress and WooCommerce, which is the downside, is that um, if I want to programmatically create coupons in Shopify, I can't do it unless the merchant has a plus store because the discounts API is not open for the majority of their stores, right? And so those kind of things as a developer, um, while there are benefits to having a closed system in terms of uh, more givens and definites from a development perspective that you can depend on, it definitely can make your job harder um, because you have much more limited development tools. Uh, so things like the discount API or the fact that there's no fees API, which <laughs> just blows my mind. So if you want to add a cost to the cart, we have to do uh, like all sorts of trickery to be able to do that with like a fake product. Um, so definitely from the culture perspective, um, you have to be willing to work with a more limited tool set in Shopify to gain that um, 
sort of dependability that you get from the from the server and the hosted space. Um, but both are very welcoming to third party developers and want to encourage you to um, to build things for the platform that um, so that merchants have more tools. So um, culture is definitely an interesting one, um, which kind of leads you then into the fit for merchants. And so I think that that philosophy and that setup really influences what um, which platform is a good fit for which merchant. So for merchants that have very simple products or don't need a ton of customization around the way they sell things. So a good example might be t-shirts, um, selling coffee, right? Selling like simple products online. Um, Shopify excels at that. And especially for people that uh, are on their own, they don't have a high technical competency. You know, you don't really know how servers or how, um, how FTP access or things like that work, right? You need to have a higher technical competency or at least be willing to learn that to work with WordPress, right? Um, but because it's a closed ecosystem, customization in Shopify is much more difficult. So if you're selling um, configurable products or products with unique um, uh, requirements like selling things by weight, right? Like you wanna sell coffee now per pound or you wanna sell um, subscriptions. There's some subscription um, apps available for Shopify, but I far prefer WooCommerce for that. So the type of product I feel like very strongly dictates which platform is going to be the best. And also the merchant's willingness to either gain a high technical competency or to work with someone like John, who is willing to help them do that. Um, so definitely the, the development culture I feel like leads into um, which platform is the best fit for which kind of merchant. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. You handled that. I'm very <laughs> impressed handling one of my long-winded questions. You did it with a long-winded answer. No, <laughs> no, you kept on topic. You know, I feel sorry sometimes for my beloved interviewees. They have to, uh, um, <laughs> but I try. I'm trying to get them more focused, yeah. folks. Well, thanks. Uh, um, so. Um, I was going. Oh, I've just lost track. Actually, oh, God, uh, <laughs> my God, uh, got a question, John. I've just, I've just flown myself. Yes, I have a question. Um, I want to ask you, Becca. Where do you see e-commerce headed? Just overall, not specifically WooCommerce or Shopify, but just e-commerce in general. Uh, but, but where do you see um, it going? And 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 how do you anticipate like where Skybridge is going? in relation to that. Yeah, so even though e-commerce has been around for quite some time, uh, I think we're just uh, getting at a tipping point over the past couple of years where it's much more accessible for people. So when um, people first started buying things on the internet, you know, you have the Amazons uh, and the Macy's of the internet um, that are, uh, are setting up shop and you need to have uh, a team of developers basically, right? There weren't standardized payment gateway integrations. Someone had to connect your site manually to your payment processor. Same thing with fulfillment services. You know, you had to have um, these developers on hand and you're, you're paying out for custom development for every single thing you did. And so I think with the rise of e-commerce platforms, even though Shopify has been around for a very long time, um, its popularity has really taken off in the past few years. And then obviously the same thing with WooCommerce and other smaller platforms like EBB. Um, so I think that we're seeing now that generalization of e-commerce and it becoming more accessible for more entrepreneurs. And as a result, I think we're seeing a lot more tools pop up in the e-commerce space. So from a development perspective, I think this is a great opportunity and a great time period to start offering those tools, which is why we've invested so heavily in things like Jilt. Is um, We're at a point now where we feel like that's a very valuable investment for us to make 
since there's such an influx of new merchants um, who now have access to these tools, whereas previously they couldn't afford to hire a developer to build everything themselves. Um, from a merchant's perspective, uh, I think that selling in different channels and arenas is going to uh, become something that's bigger. So uh, as a new merchant, marketing your store is the hardest thing. And uh, a lot of merchants are working with um, you know, social media platforms and, and uh, other channels to try and sell their products. You know, if, you're, if you're doing custom jewelry design, you're probably having your own store, but you're also probably on Etsy and the other marketplaces. So I think connecting those channels and being able to sell more via things like Facebook or Twitter or um, in the jewelry case, you're probably using Instagram, right? And being able to sell through those channels now that some of those social media platforms are opening up APIs for that and letting you connect um, your products to their marketplace, I think is definitely going to be a hugely powerful thing. And I'll be interested to see more platforms kind of get involved in that. Yeah, Thanks for that, Becca. My my um, original question has come back into my mind, actually. Surprise, there we surprise. Go. Uh, um, so um, I actually think Woo, WooCommerce doesn't do its favour by saying it's free because I've never, when I've been actively involved in consultation... Never set up a shop for free. <laughs> I've never known one ever to be free. Wow. Uh, more like a $1,000 plus when you start adding up all the extensions, the, all the other bits and pieces, um, and continues. As, um, especially if you're in the consultation period, the specification of the shopping cart just increases, increases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and uh, great news if you're a third-party uh, developer isn't it uh, um, but um, look, get back to the originality of the question I don't think it does itself a favour by saying that really what's your feelings about that uh, yeah definitely it's it's not going to be free obviously and while you may be able to set up a very simple shop using PayPal standard uh, you're always going to have some kind of cost associated with it but I also think that if you came into expecting to start a business from absolutely nothing, um, that we're probably not going to be on the right trajectory there. Um, and so I look at WooCommerce's cost, and for a merchant just starting out, um, it could certainly be one of the more cost-effective options. If you're using uh, my favorite for small stores is SiteGround. Um, so if you're using, like let's say, a SiteGround, um, GoGeek plan, and then a small subset of extensions, um, you could be running for pretty cheap per year. I think that $1,000 is probably a reasonable benchmark for that. Um, if you're trying to run a more serious business um, and you're trying to only spend about $100 a month on your business, um, I feel like it's just not going to go well. And I don't know that WooCommerce saying it's, it's free is necessarily um, how I would personally choose to market it because I think it's an excellent tool and I don't think people necessarily expect it to be purely free. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely... Something that I think as a third-party developer sometimes can be detrimental, but I also think that we work with enough good merchants who are very serious about their businesses that they don't um, have that expectation. No, I think that's very um, well put. Thank you for that. But uh, on, the, um, on the flip side, do you, on the, um, what you're seeing as the enterprise level, mm-hmm. the, um, I've had the experience of a certain, how shall I put it, kind of slightly sniffy developer that when the mention of WooCommerce kind of find, can be a little bit dismissive. Um, <laughs> do you 
what do you think it can cope with? You know, um, I feel it can um, if it's properly um, set it, set up and hosting is provided, and you've got developers that really know it can handle almost a lot of the circumstances, even high up into the enterprise level. Would you agree with that? And what's been your experiences? Yeah, so I've um, fortunately had the opportunity to talk with and work with um, someone who has managed um, extremely large uh, WooCommerce stores. And so uh, I have found as well that some people think, oh, well, it's not going to scale. It's for small stores. Um, when size of your, your store isn't really the, the criteria I use, as we talked about earlier, you know, uh, the type of product you have, I think, is more important for that. Uh, for which platform is right for you. With WooCommerce, we do see a real limit based on the WordPress infrastructure. And that's basically how many orders are coming in in a given time period. Um, Because the number of products isn't necessarily an issue, right? That's pretty much static content. You can update products, but they're not dynamically changing constantly. Whereas with orders, you're constantly writing that information to the database. And as such, you hit a very real limit on how many database writes can be done in a given time period. And so with WooCommerce, um, I think the theoretical limit of that is like 10,000 orders an hour or something. Um, I could probably look up that number um, with, with more certainty. But uh, you will see a real limit at a very high level. Yeah. But um, there's enterprise and then there's mega stores. And um, for many enterprise stores, um, especially if you have larger order values and you're not doing that many consecutive orders in a given time period, um, with the proper hosting, it certainly will work out well. Um, you will hit a limit at some point, like, you know, Nike is not going to use WooCommerce right now. <laughs> you know, it's just, they have too many orders in that, in that time period to be able to use that. And that's true of almost any platform, though. They're using, um, I think Nike uses a platform built by Oracle, maybe, um, for their e-commerce. You know, there's a couple, a couple platforms that really cater to that. And they're marketing to it and selling, right? And uh, I feel bad for those developers. But um, for enterprise, yes, it's definitely a good tool. Um, like you said, though, Jonathan, you need to make sure you have your environment in order and your whole stack is is ready for that. But WooCommerce itself um, won't limit that. WordPress itself will limit that at a certain point. It's a big point, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is it's a very big point. And it, one well, that, it must be a lovely uh, problem to have. Right, exactly. And um, I think that at that point, you're probably making enough money that while a switch is is going to be a pain for you, um, if you had to switch away from it, it's not going to be business breaking either. I wouldn't have thought so, no. (laughs) (laughs) They're the kind of problems you dream about, aren't they? Right, I was going to say those are champagne problems, aren't they? (laughs) I don't classify them as problems, really, do you? (laughs) Right, exactly. The... uh, Ever popular first world problems? <laughs> no, they're not problems, really, are they? Uh, um, take over, John. Okay, um, I think we got time for one more question, like in the regular podcast, and then we're going to go to our bonus content, which you can find on the WP Tonic website. But I want to close uh, the regular podcast by asking uh, you, Becca, how is the REST API transforming? how people can use WooCommerce and what sorts of possibilities are being opened up by having the REST API in play now? Um, So with the addition of the REST API in version 2.1, I feel like that really opened WooCommerce up for developers. And uh, we saw that ourselves with um, 
with that coming into play. And that was something our team was heavily involved in. Um, Max, who's our co-founder, uh, worked on version one of the REST API and also contributed to, to version two of it. And the reason we did that was because we had built the original iOS app for WooCommerce as a partnership with, with WooThemes at the time. Um, we then sold uh, our share of it to them later just because it wasn't our focus. And um, once they were acquired, they also had access to an iOS development team. Um, that uh, we felt like gave them a better position for it since we weren't uh, making enough money and it felt like it was dividing our focus. But for us, um, we had a very real use case, obviously, for the API was that that iOS app. And so it really opened up WooCommerce stores for us to be able to interact with them, to be able to um, have an external service or external app that could use that. And so over time, we've seen that uh, coverage of the REST API and what it can do grow um, so that now they even have a brand new version of it that's based on the WordPress API um, that shipped with WooCommerce 2.6. And so as we've seen that, we've seen more and more external services being able to leverage that API and um, work with WooCommerce in ways that they either um, didn't have the ability to or weren't willing to to do in the past. Uh, So a good example is that I know some people that have built Ruby on Rails apps that work with WooCommerce. And so they previously couldn't work with WooCommerce because you need to know PHP to write WordPress plugins, right? And you need to be good at it to write good WordPress plugins. And so uh, I think it's opened up WooCommerce to all sorts of developers that couldn't necessarily get involved with it. And as a result of that, merchants are getting apps they wouldn't have had before. So the REST API has completely opened it up as a platform um, for both developers and for merchants to get apps for things that um, shouldn't necessarily sit in their site. So a good example of that is Jilt, which we talked about earlier. Um, the reason we did abandon cart as an app versus a plugin is just it generates such a tremendous amount of data to track literally every person visiting your checkout, um, which is, uh, as we said, you know, if you have 68% of your orders that are abandoned, that means that whatever you have in orders, multiply that by at least two and a half, and that's how many cart abandonment records you're going to have to keep track of. So that level of data isn't something that you want stored in your database. So we'll take that and put it into a hosted app so it's off your site, keeping your site quick. And um, there's a lot of services like that that just aren't really possible or or shouldn't necessarily be possible inside of your site that having the REST API opens up for people to use. Yeah, excellent, comprehensive answer. Um, I, I definitely think like... But- there's a lot to it. No, that's okay. That's that's all good. I, I definitely think one of the major things uh, with having the REST API is you will get developers from outside the WordPress ecosystem contributing to WooCommerce and contributing to WordPress in ways that they maybe um, wouldn't have thought, they wouldn't have been inclined to do so before. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's good for everybody. Uh, with that, we're going to uh, close down the regular part of the podcast. Remember, you can find bonus content on the WP Tonic website uh, for this episode. Uh, and if you're finding, if you're getting value from uh, our podcast, we encourage you to go over to iTunes, subscribe, leave us a five star review. Uh, those reviews really help other people find the podcast. And uh, with that, uh, Becca, how do people get a hold of you if they want to find out more? Um, so if you want to learn more about me, you can visit skyverge.com, S-K-Y-V-E-R-G-E. Uh, you can also uh, visit sellwithwp.com, where we write about e-commerce with WordPress. Uh, if you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can connect with at Becca, B-E-K-A underscore 
Rice, R-I-C-E. Very good. Jonathan, how do the listeners get a hold of you? Oh, it's easy, folks. I'm a kind of virtual rash. Um, there, um, you can either email me at jonathan at wp-tonic.com, and I do answer my email, not probably the same day, but the next day. And um, either I'm on Twitter um, at, at Jonathan Denwood, or you can go to the, the, the Twitter handle for WP Tonic. And um, that's the way to get hold of us, folks. Very good. And you can get a hold of me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com, where you can find me on Twitter, lockdown underscore. And with that, we will say adios. Goodbye. Goodbye.